Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing Podcast. Buckle up and ride shotgun as we cover everything you need to know about the uplands. The habitat. The hunting. And of course, your favorite bird dogs. Welcome to On the Wing Podcast. We are... uh... Let's just say it's awkward. <laughs> we're we're uh, four guys uh, pushed into a Nissan Armada. <laughs> it's not sponsored by Nissan. It's just a hap- happenstance. Um, Roost, welcome to Rooster Road Trip 13, Montana Mixed Bag. And it's already been a mixed bag. We're off and running in Montana. And of course, um, one thing that's always true of Rooster Road Trip and that's uh something's gonna go wrong andrew sometimes pants are gonna blow out <laughs> yeah that that happens maybe more than you want it to maybe that's a reflection of my workout routine and the need to improve that <laughs> well that's another story for another day but uh, it's not so much things going wrong it's just being you know encountering adversity and like Wasn't really the, a... the, the, testing our wills and, and overcoming and persevering right there was a ditch incident one year uh, yeah, one year we forgot to put a, uh, an SUV in park and we got to see it roll away for a while. That was, that was fun. Uh, the rental company did not know about that until now. <laughs> um, and judging by the fact we're in a Nissan Armada, which is also a rental and well, we've been taking it down some two tracks, maybe we shouldn't be. Hopefully, hopefully enterprise is not listening. <laughs> I left my shotguns at the hotel for opening a uh, road trip two years ago, I think. Yeah. We've had people have to go back hours for laptops that were left behind. It's yeah. things happen, but those are the, the quirky behind the scenes moments that, uh, well, make a make a road trip a road trip. That's the charm of Rooster Road Trip, and we're back for another year. Like I said, number thirteen. Uh, we've got uh, episodes coming at you from Montana. The voice you hear, uh, Andrew Vavra, director of marketing for Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, and. I was thinking about this as we were coming over the hill. Like, what what's the right title? Because I, f- I feel, like, wrong calling you the quarterback of Rooster Road Trip because I always then say, like, the Tom Brady. Yeah, that was last year. And, we got an I argument think... about that. You tried to call me Kirk Cousins. That, <laughs> that didn't work. And then we went down Aaron, the Aaron Rodgers rabbit hole. That ain't happening, <laughs> especially not this year. But anyway, um, I would just call me the, the herder of cats, the instigator of fun most of the time i hope um just uh no i'm just the, the stubborn one that's been along every single year uh it's, been, it's been an incredible ride person. and you've had this is your second dog now that's been on every trip so yep. bo was on she she years? made it 10 so Eight? she did 10 rooster road trips because her first uh one was our inaugural one and she was only a six month old puppy hmm. and that was when she got her first wild bird retrieve and right now she's sitting at home very upset according to my wife because she knows i went on a hunting trip without her uh but she's definitely entering the twilight years and so she gets a couple runs here and there but that, that's about it and so we've transitioned to the knuckleheaded french brit who uh i think he's gonna go for three years in a row of winning the spirit of the hunt award it's it's too <laughs> early to say that um but you know his spirit is willing sometimes his brain is not but uh it's, it's okay but did we ever actually say what went wrong here in terms of like of the, of the podcast yeah. that went wrong while we're recording in a Nissan Armada? Yep. Um, I maybe mentioned that our power cord oh, got yeah, frayed. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, 
you know, I, I don't know if a mouse chewed on it or it's just, you know, four years old now, but our power cord got frayed and we have no power to the, to the uh, podcast equipment. And we are in north central Montana, not a surplus of Best Buys, Office Max, audio stores here. So we are recording this episode of On The Wing Podcast in in all of them for the foreseeable future on our video equipment. So fingers crossed the audio sounds um, uh, sound or, or sounds um, clear for everybody. Um, but without further ado, um, this is the Rooster Road Trip episode. We do have a couple other guests in, in the Nissan Armada. <laughs> Hunter Van Donsel, our state coordinator for Montana, and Nate Akey, our social media strategist, brand new, uh, first ever road trip. So we're gonna have them introduce the, introduce themselves in a moment. Um, since this is Rooster Road Trip episode one for 2022, uh, do wanna thank our sponsoring partners for this year's trip, Browning Shotguns and Browning Apparel, Federal Premium Ammunition, Rufflin Kennels, Apple Autos, who uh, has the Rooster provided the Rooster Road Trip truck once again, uh, Sound Gear Hearing Protection, and uh, Garmin uh, Electronic Dog Training Systems. Uh, I get the Garmin Solar Watch that's paired with my uh, Alpha on my wrist right now. So thanks to all six of those Rooster Road Trip partners, and we do have a um, special 2022 Rooster Road Trip membership offer. You, you guys feel how hot it's getting in here? It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's heating up. But it's, it's windy outside, so this is our option. And we stink. But anyway, <laughs> something that doesn't stink, uh, if you do sign up to become a Pheasants Forever or Quail Forever member uh, during the Rooster Road Trip, uh, we'll send you a browning lockback uh, folding knife with a nice rosewood handle, uh, browning and PF or QF logos on the blade. It's a, it's a nice little, little knife. It's an everyday carry. You could definitely... Uh, carve up a, a few birds with it. Uh, but on top of that, uh, anybody who does sign up during the Rooster Road Trip will be automatically entered to win the uh, Browning 725 Satori that I'm touting around yet again. And there's a reason why I keep on going back to it because in my opinion, it's one of mm. the best over-unders that you can get, especially when you're chasing uh, roosters. And this is the Rooster Road Trip. Um, so best of luck to all of you out there. Um, I begrudgingly will hand it down <laughs> yet again because they forced me to. Um, but yeah, go to roosterroadtrip.org and you'll find the, the offers there. All right, so let's start with kind of a quick introduction of each of you guys, Hunter and Nate, just so uh, folks know a little bit about you and then we'll dive into kind of the featured um, component of this particular episode. But Hunter, tell us you know, who you are, where you grew up, kind of a little bit of your background. Yeah, hi, I'm uh, Hunter Van Donsel. I'm the state coordinator for Pheasants Forever in Montana and Wyoming. Uh, I live up in Haver, Montana, where we have it, in Haver. And uh, <laughs> I grew up in Helena, Montana, um, lived in Montana my whole life and just absolutely love it here. Uh, got my bachelor's degree in wildlife biology at the University of Montana, so go Grizz. Um, and then started working for Pheasants Forever. It took me up to the High Line and was kind of my first real job and it's just been it's been wonderful uh so far a lot of fun um yeah <laughs> go grizz it makes me uh, remember as we we're driving out here um i got 
the second grizzly bear news story of uh, bird hunters being um, having grizzly bear encounters. As a lifelong Montanan, how many times have you seen grizzly? Oh, probably five or six times while out in the woods. Okay. Never, never really had a bad experience. A couple of them were the hairs on the back of my neck stood up, but um, you know, I always pack bear spray when I'm in bear country and you know, cross my fingers, haven't had an issue yet. So um, always a concern and it's, it's definitely becoming a more of a concern lately, but yeah. nothing crazy from my experiences, so. <laughs> well, we hope uh, nothing crazy during the next week either. Right. <laughs> uh, Nate, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so Nate Akey, I'm the uh, social media strategist here at Pheasants Forever. Uh, first year on the road trip, um, and it's been it's been a blast so far. I'm running second on camera from uh, our our other cameraman Aaron, and uh, we're we're getting after it. A um, little bit more about me: uh, live over in Oregon and uh, work remotely, and and uh, just joining the crew here. So it's been it's been an interesting ride, and I'm one of the cats Andrew's herding this this time around. <laughs> and so. your first day on the job was when. Uh, that would be September 6th is what it would have been. Yeah. So we're, so we're, we're fresh. Six we're weeks fresh. In, right? yep. Yeah. A month so, and a half. So we're going to ask you for your impressions of Rooster Road Trip, but we'll, we'll come back to that. What I want to talk about, um, dive in a little bit, Hunter, is hydration for migration, which is concept that you created when you, or pretty early on, in your job or yeah. your role with pheasants forever and quail forever, right? Yeah. So you told me yesterday you're, you're kind of the, the, uh, you like alliteration. <laughs> you yeah. like things that rhyme. Yep. So tell us a little bit about hydration for migration other than the rhyme. Yeah. So hydration for migration. Um, unfortunately I can't actually take credit for that name. Uh, Martin Townsend, who's with us in Malta actually came up with that rhyme but we were just kind of riffing back and forth, trying to make up really fun names. And mm -hmm. that's finally the one that stuck. So anyway, uh, in Montana with the Natural Resources Conservation Service, they have focused conservation within the state, Montana focused conservation. And it allows um, conservationists to go and really make plans that are targeted, focused, and really make a difference. Um, move the conservation needle, as it would seem. And so, for me, you know, a young biologist really excited to make a name and uh, change the world, right, is what I was thinking about. And I thought pronghorn were really cool. There's a lot of stuff nationally, momentum building for migrations. Um, mm -hmm. Pronghorn are moving in Montana um, on really long routes from summer range to winter range. Um, and I really wanted to do something related to that and related to upland birds. And this is kind of where hydration for migration came about. Um, we were able to really get some awesome landowners excited about uh, improving grazing systems, um, modifying fence to facilitate wildlife movement, and improve bird and pronghorn habitat. So let's back up just for a minute and let's talk about pronghorns. Yeah. Because you know, I'm, I'm sure people listening to Rooster Road Trip are going to be, you know, they're talking about pronghorns. And we're going to get to that, what the connection between pronghorn and pheasants. But I want to understand a little bit more about the migration because I don't think, like, Joe Public knows that pronghorns migrate. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, you know, where they migrate, when they migrate, why they migrate. 
Yeah, yeah. So up here in north central Montana, you know, up in the High Line, we're really pushing towards the northern edge of pronghorn range. You know, winters get really harsh. Um, it's tough to survive up here when the wind's howling 60 miles an hour and it's 40 below and food is hard to find. And so really the primary reason that pronghorn move is to avoid harsh winter conditions. And so, you know, they'll move to the north into, you know, up towards Canada, um, out into these big open grasslands. And that's where they're finding all this green grass and they're, they're foraging there through the summer. And as soon as the bad storms start to come, you can see them just turn due south and push down. And do they group up like, you know, how yes. deer herd in the winter, pronghorn do that? Yep, they'll start grouping up um, later in November and towards December. And when those really bad storms hit, you know, groups of, you know, 20 to 50 are kind of together and moving down. Um, pronghorn aren't quite as uh, close to the routes. You know, in Wyoming, there's mule deer that go that same exact route every year. This is more like the ebb and flow of a tide, I would say, hmm. where these big populations are pushing up. And then depending how bad the winter is, they may come all the way down to like the Missouri River, you know, 100, 200 miles, or maybe only 50, you know, to the edge of the Milk River. Um, but they're kind of looking for a spot that's gonna bear up a little bit, where they're gonna be able to find forage, maybe some sagebrush in there. And so they're really pushing south based on that, those winter conditions. Hmm. And, um, that migration is a long-term strategy for population survival. And so um, they need to move to have strong populations that make it through time. Um, in 2010 and 11, um, we had some really bad winters up here um, and populations really took a hit. Um, and as a matter of fact, there are actually hundreds of pronghorn that got hit by the train that year. Um, that they really? all stacked up on, on, railroad on the railroad tracks because they were clear of snow. Um, some of them even made it across the Fort Peck, um, wow. and uh, on the ice and then actually couldn't make it back North after it thawed out. Huh. So, so is it the snow depth is the critical thing that pushes them because they yeah. need to get down and dig into the, eat something, right? Yep. Yep. So, and when's that start alleviating in Montana geographically? When does the snow or where on a map does that start? being less where they they're comfortable yeah so there's kind of two spots in my mind the north side of the milk river valley um it's getting that southern exposure of sun a little bit there and so sometimes they'll stack up right there mm -hmm. and if they can mock make it across that highway two corridor they'll start to stack up down towards the the um north side of the missouri river gotcha. and so they're coming you know basically from canada to the missouri river is kind of that push um there are likely some other, lots of other movements of pronghorn populations in Montana, mm -hmm. um, but this has probably been the most well-studied. They collared a bunch of pronghorn, a uh, great researcher, Andrew Jakes, collared a bunch of pronghorn right around that 2010-11 and um, actually recorded the longest ever pronghorn migration in the world in uh, Valley County. So. And how long was it? Oh, I, I can't remember off the top of my head. I want to say it was over 200 miles. Wow. Long, long ways. Wow. Yeah. Well, didn't you throw out a nugget about a pronghorn that was um, monitored running along a barbed wire fence? Yep. On that same study, a couple locations, they, um, watching that, the GPS track, you know, mm -hmm. um, come along and hit that fence and they just see the line back and bouncing back and forth. Because they forth. can't get over the fence. Right. They always, well, 
99% of the time they go under, okay. you know, there's pictures out there of them jumping over, but mm -hmm. I've never actually seen one go over. I've really? always seen them go under and it's a big risk to jump a fence. They're just not prepared for it. They always want to go under. And when that bottom wire, if it's a woven wire fence, um, they may take weeks to find a spot that they feel safe enough to cross. And it's a ton of energy expended. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not finding food because they're stressed. They're trying to make it to better, you know, places and um, get stuck, you know. Mm. So that's a huge, huge risk for pronghorn populations to basically cut off those routes and that's what you're saying like the that one collared pronghorn you could watch it it spent two weeks yeah trying to cross one fence just stuck for two weeks right and so that to kind of bring it back to the road trip and the upland aspect like so it's really animal friendly fences and intact habitat yes it's it's like intact migration corridors and you know the it's not a cliche, but it's, it's, it's a common saying, <clears throat> you know, what's good for the herd is good for the bird. And so if you can imagine having to have an intact upland ecosystem to allow these large scale pronghorn migrations, well, that's going to do wonders for, for birds. And, and that's what we saw. And mm -hmm. well, we, we kind of buried the lead here. So we are in Montana and, and the whole theme this year is, is mixed bags in Montana. So this year has a very different flavor compared to, you know, last year we were just in the Dakotas, which mm -hmm. is a phenomenal rooster habitat or rooster states. Um, so we spent an entire day dedicated to doing nothing but chasing Sharpies. Yeah. And we've never done that on the road trip before. Mm -hmm. And now did I have like a personal interest in this? Cause they might be one of my favorite birds, maybe. <laughs> um, but like, there's a, such a unique and cool story here. And like what you've been able to do, you know, for the pronghorn and how you have also seen upland bird numbers just, uh, really take to that as well. And it takes a lot of uh, willing landowners to allow this to happen. And I think that's really a strong point for our organization at Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever is our ability to work with landowners mm -hmm. and, and find willing landowners and you know have them understand the importance of them kind of playing ball for conservation. And, you know, just being able to walk around with Hunter and just listening to like the passion <laughs> and like his expertise has just been Oh, uh, it's, it's, it gets you jacked up. It's just like, it's so cool to see such a unique thing that our organization's doing um, that the general public and even me as an employee and a coworker, I wasn't aware of. So you got three things. You got pronghorn, you got upland birds, in this case, sharp tails, mm -hmm. and you got landowners. You got this rhyme, hydration for migration. So how do all three of those things work together because here you are, an employee of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. How do you pull all that together? Because you started talking about, you know, there's a lot of public interest in migration. Mm -hmm. And you had a seed of an idea that tied it all. Yeah, yeah. So basically, you know, all this excitement about migration and um, great landowner I had in mind. I knew that Pronghorn, it was a big, important corridor right there. And so really... You know, cold called, never talked to this person before and just asked him, hey, do you want to work on pronghorn? Do you want to do some, something cool for pronghorn? And he said, no, absolutely not, not mm. interested. And I was like, oh, okay, well, anything else you need help with? And he's like, well, I need a, I need a ranch map. You know, you could come up and help me ranch the place. And we toured around in the side-by-side -side and had a great day, cracking jokes, looking at grass, looking at cows, talking about hunting a little bit. You know, we, you know, started kind of really hit it off. And so... Um, kind of looking and he, he wanted to make a lot of changes to their grazing system. He wanted to do better. He wanted to leave more grass. He wanted to, you know, be more efficient and, 
and really provide great habitat for, for wildlife. And really the limiting factor for him was water. Hmm. And so they really needed a reliable livestock water system that wasn't going to be a creek that ran dry um, in a bad drought, wasn't a reservoir that goes bad or gets salty or, or anything like that. It, it needed to be reliable um, so they could do the innovative stuff he wanted to do. And so I was like, well, you know, I'm not sure how we justify this project, but if you wanted to modify a bunch of fences to facilitate pronghorn movement, you know, we're probably a lot more likely to get funding for water. And that was really the whole concept is I can help him, you know, improve grazing. And through that, he can build match for a lot of these grants by modifying fences and, mm -hmm. and doing stuff to really facilitate movement. And so um, on his place, you know, we did a improved grazing project that probably impacts 40,000 acres. Um, we modified 15 miles of fence. Um, 11 of them were through a volunteer day that Pheasants Forever hosted. And... Um, off the races and then not counting the six other landowners that are doing basically the same thing. And then, so the lever are, are pronghorn, yeah. right? And the, the benefit that spills out the other end that we had particular interest are sharp tails and huns, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And that was a really nice piece there where, um, basically everything needs grass. And grass needs to be green side up. It's the mm -hmm. best side for wildlife. And so pronghorn need it, sharp teal need it, and huns need it. And mm. so a big part of this is if we can keep, you know, livestock producers successful um, and doing good things on the ground, um, they're way less likely to convert that to um, annual cropping, which, you know, or sod busting, any of that native prairie. Um, they're less likely to develop it or look for other avenues where grazing is really if, if done well, can really be great for, for all the bird species that we love mm -hmm. and, and pronghorn too. Yeah. I think one other thing to, to point out here, especially with this particular story, is there's another angle that, that plays into what we're here for too. And that's, you know, the, the whole ethos of the Rooster Road Trip is hunting nothing but publicly accessible land. And so people at home might be like, wow, they're talking a lot about like private land ownership and ranchers. Like, what are they, what are they doing? They're just going to cherry private land spots now. Nope, nope. Same old public land stuff. Um, so this same landowner also is enrolled in the block management. Um, it's, uh, well, all you take us through block management, what that means and what that offers to, you know, both resident and non-resident hunters like us. Yeah, so the, the black block management program in Montana is probably one of the most successful access programs in the nation. It's run through Montana Fish, Life, and Parks. And basically based on the number of hunter days that a, a property receives, they get paid, I think it's about $13 a hunter day. Um, there's a cap on that, about $15,000 that a place can receive. Um, and you, it's open to anybody. Um, there's type one and type two. Type one is you just go to a box, you grab a sign in slip, sign in your information and you're good for the day. Type two usually means you talk directly to the landowner um, the property we hunted was a technically a type two, although we just, you know, walk into the shop and they got a book there ready for, for anybody that wants to go out and signed in and, you know, open to anybody. And this is 80,000 acre property that, you know, half of it's Bureau of Land Management and half of it's private and hmm. really opens up incredible opportunities for birds and big game. This was the first time I've ever hunted a type two. Is that new or is that component been around for a while? 
Type 2 has been around for a long time. Huh. Um, this is probably the only Type 2 I've been in been at that you don't actually have to talk to the landowner. It really functions more like a Type 1. Okay. Um, most of them you go up and you got to knock on the door, um, tell them who you are, ask to hunt, and then they'll grab the permission slip out. That's how most of them work. Sometimes you can call a Fish Life and Parks regional office um, and they'll get you hooked up that way. And that's a good reminder, Onyx is the national sponsor of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever and our partnering sponsor of On the Wing Podcast. Private and public land boundaries are just the beginning of what you can use Onyx to become a safer and more successful hunter. It's trusted by millions across the country and you too can download an app risk-free for a seven-day trial at onyxhunt.com. Use the code pheasants or quail during the checkout process for 20% off at onyx.com and know that they donate um, a portion of every sale back to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever for our wildlife habitat mission leading to more habitat, more wild birds, and more public access. So thank you to Onyx. All right, let's transition here from, talked a lot about kind of the habitat and the conservation component of it. Um, what people want to know is how day one of Rooster Road Trip went uh, focused on sharp tails and, and Hunter's favorite spot. Um, I'm going to ask Nate, his, since yeah. Nate, this is six weeks in, your first day of Rooster Road Trip. Um, what did you think of day one? Well, I, you know, I was happy to be here, first off. You watch Rooster Road Trip coming in. I've watched a few of the episodes from the past. And you can see wh what the end result is, but you never know what, uh, what it's like behind the scenes. Mm. So, so coming, it was, it was exciting. And, and it was by fire right away. It's boots <laughs> on the ground. We're going. We're you hunting. You just made Andrew smile. We're, <laughs> we are hunting. It's, it's nonstop. I mean, from the moment you wake up to, yeah. the, to the moment we're, you know, we're eating dinner. And then, and then after dinner, we're, we're editing and doing all, all sorts of things. So as far as the hunting's concerned, it was right away. We got to the spot. We met up. We met up with Hunter. We got, uh, which, was, which has been great. This story is, is incredible up in this region. And being able to tell that story is great. And we, we get there. We sign in. And it's like, all right, now we got to drive down the road. We got to go over there. Now we're boots on the ground. Dogs are on the ground. Dogs are yelping. They're going nuts. And we're, and we're walking the whole crew. You look down the line and there's, there's orange. You look down the other way and there's orange. And we're doing good. We're getting there. And it wasn't, I don't know, maybe, maybe 10 minutes in. And I think uh, Chad, who's not in the car with us, we hear a shot down the fence row. And, and from that moment on, man, we had a day. Mm -hmm. We had a day of, of, of sharp tail hunting that... Man, it's one of the better ones I've I've hunted in Montana for sharp tail before, and you know a, a good day is obviously a limit, but it might be a long day to get that limit. <laughs> and we seen you have to shoot shoot better than some. Yeah, last day yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we saw we saw a ton of birds. Hi, okay, ton. Because yeah. that was going to be one of my questions. Like I I didn't count it all, but what's a ton of bird? How many birds do you think we saw, Nate? Oh, I, I'd say 80 or more. What do you think, Andy? I was going to say, like, it wouldn't be a gross exaggeration to assume we saw over 100 birds. What do you think, Hunter? Between 80 and 100 is probably where I'm sitting. Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, not all of them were, were playing ball. Like, we're talking, like, birds in sight that we saw, you know, kind of mm -hmm. get up. Um, I mean, man, if we had a hundred birds within range and we only walked away with what we did, ugh, that's mm -hmm. keeping federal happy, if, that, if that's the case. So, <laughs> exactly. We hunted two spots 
and I had on my watch, my Garmin, I had 30,000 steps. Now, granted, I had to retrieve a bird, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I'll tell you about that in a minute. But 30,000 steps in two spots. So we were not hunting small pieces of property. Yeah. Uh, did it match, Hunter? Like you had, you had hunted this spot with the landowner once before. Yeah. You've walked it from a uh, kind of a planning perspective. Um, you probably had more hunters and more dogs in the field than you've ever had walking this spot. Did it, the bird numbers match your expectations or did it exceed it? Uh, it, it actually exceeded it. Um, you know, when we did it before we saw, I mean, we saw probably 50 or 60 birds, less of them played ball that day for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. So, um, but we did great. I mean, things happen. It was, it was a ton of fun. I mean, it, it really was. What's the most memorable se sequence yesterday for, for you? Well, right, at, right before the very end, we were coming up this uh, draw with a spring running through it that looks like kind of like a babbling little brook that's mm. coming out through the dry, cracked prairie. And coming up through that, um, my dog just got a little bit birdie and three popped up and I shoot and that was my limit. And the whole rest of the way up that draw, <laughs> I was out of out of birds and they were just getting up at my feet and it was unbelievable huh. unbelievable so yeah it was a, it was a popcorn event at the end there yeah. it was you had your limit and i was up top with the camera and and i think aaron was down below following behind you and between the two of us he, we were pointing back and forth did you get that did you get that and we just had birds going everywhere it was hard to keep track and and we talked about it too you you mentioned that at that spot the last time you were there up top is where kind of in the sage flat is where you saw most of the birds yeah. probably feeding, but it was hot yesterday. It was, it, it was over 80 and it was towards the end of the day in the, in the hotter part of the day. And all those, all those birds held tight down by the water. And, and that's, that's probably the reason why. Yeah. As a biologist, um, answer a question I bet a lot of people are wondering like, okay, grassland habitat, you got sharp tails, got huns. Why, why aren't there pheasants here? You know, in that spot specifically, there's just not enough winter cover. I mean, the cover's just too thin. I mean, uh, pheasants really need, you know, something like cattails or real mm -hmm. thick brush to make it over the winters and up, you know, getting close to Canada, winter is, mm -hmm. is a tough, tough thing. So uh, they're just not able to make it over winter. And sharp tails, how, how come they can survive the winter in that area? Yeah, sharp tails are, are just a little bit better equipped to handle our winters. They're a native bird to Montana, and so they've evolved um, a long time with, mm -hmm. with that rough weather and um, just have some different strategies to, to make it through winter. One thing that always fascinates me about sharp tails are their, their feet and how kind of the feathers grow as, as fall progresses into winter, right? Yeah. All right, Nate, what's, what's the most memorable piece of uh, the sharp tail hunt for you? You know, once again, Chad's not in here, but yesterday that last bird uh, mm. that I was, he, he, I had watched him go down that drainage and miss, I don't know, five or six birds that were pretty, pretty well gimmies. Um, and, and he had to get that last one and he went down and, and, and we got it all on film and he folded that bird. It came out of the, came out of the bush that was there and then his dog made a real nice retrieve and it, it just kind of ended the day you know, start to finish, it was a lot of action and we finished it right there with some action. And then, and then, you know, back of the truck, everyone talking about the day, things like that. That's what, that's what made it for me. Yeah. Andrew, what was your highlight of day one? Um, I guess I, I have 
two highlights, but before I, I jump into that, there are two dogs and two kennels right behind me. So that panting, that's not me. It, 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 it is hot in here, just like just like you know during the sharpie hunt, it was it was sweltering. Uh, the dogs the dogs did well though. Um, it was really warm. It was yes. very, very warm. I mean, we were touching 70. When you see the video... Oh, the, our dash touched up. 80 when yeah. we got in. Did it really? It was, yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, it was pretty warm. Um, but, like, it's such an incredible landscape in terms of... At certain points, you can just see forever, and it also looks like there's nothing here. Mm -hmm. It's just like, yeah. you know, it's like that, that sagebrush, flat, like, really short grass. And it's just like, man, there's, like... There's nothing, you know, and, and then all of a sudden, like you, you hit this, like, this little lip that you didn't even like quite realize was there, and this giant like canyon and valley like just mm. opens up in front of you, and it's just like this like it's almost like a lush like different world down below, mm. and it's got like this land before time like vibe where it's just like you just want to like immerse yourself in it. It's like oh that looks birdie. <laughs> it's just like that looks good. So it's like just the the differing landscapes we walk through, and like it mm -hmm. it is so dry in this state right now. Like let's yeah. be real, like. Uh, Montana, like much of the West, is struggling with drought and like everything's crunchy. Habitat's seen better days. But, you know, the, these landowners that are doing so much for, for, for habitat and conservation, you can tell how big of a difference having you know, that, mm -hmm. that conservation ethic makes for these, these wildlife. Because you know, we're seeing close to 100 birds and this is the largest you know, migration corridor for antelope in North America. It's like habitat really matters, especially during drought seasons. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of probably my favorite moment uh we we crested a, a lip of like a smaller draw and people saw like a, a little covey of of sharpies all just kind of poke their heads up and just like spot yeah. everyone be like hi we see you <laughs> and then so it's like oh what do we do what do we do it's like well we've got to go after them so you know, they all blow out but you know we continue walking that draw because you know sometimes there's a sleeper bird hanging out yeah. just another reason to love sharpies um but you know we we started just pushing down this draw and eventually one got up and and bob i think you're the one who dropped it on the left side i was on the far side of this draw maybe like 150 yards away logan I, takes credit logan hit logan that hit that bird okay yeah. but your dog made the retrieve but you know the beauty in this landscape is you can watch the dogs work so mm -hmm, well right. so with the sun and the, at the angle it was and watching your dog make this retrieve on the opposite end of like a canyon it's like a black silhouette with a bird in its mouth like mm -hmm. coming back to like it's its owner is like a cool little painting moment yeah and then after that, uh, Hunter's like, we're going to keep walking this draw. And so we just kept pushing it. And then it was just like, it was like a typical pheasant move, right? So I yeah. felt right at home. It's like, pinched him to the line. All of a sudden, more birds got up. Hunter dropped another one. It's like, man, it's like we've done this before. Like, it was, it was, it was such a great way to kind of end that, that first walk, which I was tracking. I was, I was close to seven miles yeah. of, of human walking, yeah. which is... It was big country. Now, that was just the first hunt. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'd love to know what the dogs put on. Yeah. Yeah, my m most memorable moment was so that that retrieve. I was super proud. Thank you, Mike Weebin, for all the work you did with Gitchy this this summer. I was super proud. She tracked down that cripple, and then the low moment came when that bird. So Logan shot that bird, and it was in my vest because Gitchy brought it back to me. And um, I was we were on our way back to the truck, and. Like a pronghorn, I go underneath the barbed wire because I'm a short guy. I can't go over. I think Nate went over, Logan went over, and uh, you held the the. You said I'm going under. So I'm going under. Is, uh, yes, I'm I'm five foot six and short, and I I I need those. What is it? Eighteen inches tall. Yep. yep. <laughs> so I like that. And uh, but 
in my army crawl, uh, something fell out. I didn't know it at the time. Got back to the truck, probably um, a full mile. And I was like, oh no, the bird was no longer there. So I used my gar Garmin um, I, and I had the, the, the route that I walked and the dogs walked. And while everybody else um, stopped and had lunch, I said, I can't leave that bird in the field. I got to try, <laughs> even though it might be a needle in the haystack. But I followed the cookie crumb trail of the Garmin right to where we crossed that fence. And lo and behold, the sharp tail was laying there in the grass. And it's amazing how camouflaged they really are, especially if they're down, you know, they have the cryptic sort of sketching on their wings and they just blend in, especially in this dry brown grass this time of year. But Garmin brought me right to it and there it was. So that was, I had two high moments with a little bit of a low one in between. <laughs> Both retrieves. Both retrieves. So, yeah, so I do now hold the distinction as the longest retrieve in the history of Rooster Road Trip. Uh, my dog did a shorter version of it, but I just had to make it harder on myself. Uh, but, so day one, uh, this, this episode, hopefully you go to roosterroadtrip.org and you can watch the video. Um, to match up with this episode and there are so much you know sometimes you know when we do these episodes Andrew we, we kind of go through a full play-by-play -play of what happened that's impossible on this particular episode I mean there was there were birds and dogs and you know we saw mule deer and and um, pronghorn and um, ducks and an animal that what did no. you call it a bear slash wolf slash moose slash human. It was it was something. It wasn't. No, it, it, no it, it wasn't a yoke. I mean, Sasquatches are real. Something I that's that's the thing. But this, it was a large animal loping. And it, it's like so. The yeah, the the mixed bag is is bringing true in Montana yeah. right now. All right. So set us up a little bit for your what's ahead for Rooster Road Trip the next couple of days. So uh, in terms of what people can expect in the future, uh, we're going to be keying in on some signature Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever projects. Uh, we want to uh, bring some, some shed, well, shed some light uh, to everything we've been able to accomplish with the help of our members, donors, and supporters. Uh, and specifically for one project, um, I'm not going to do any spoilers or anything that, like that, but uh, through the Build a Wildlife Area mm. uh, program. And so... We as employees get to hear about all these good projects and, you know, we, we make, create like marketing collateral for them and we try to get people excited about them. Now it's like pretty cool to actually go put boots on the mm -hmm. ground and experience it um, ourselves. And that's something that just makes us so blessed to actually work for this organization and just know that what we're working for is has tangible on the ground results. Mm -hmm. um, so it's going to be a lot of a lot of highlighting very specific things that. You know, if you're a listener at home and you're a member, a donor, supporter, these are the types of projects that you have helped create and that you should get out and experience for yourself. So the goal at the end of this week is for people to, to be like, I want to go do that. And quite honestly, people might accuse us of, of hot spotting a little bit this year compared to past years where we're a little secretive of exactly where we are, but I don't care. Like these are like signature properties that everybody should put on their bucket list and I'll, I'll own that. And I'm sure there's people in Montana like Hunter right now who's probably gritting his teeth, but it's like, it's worth it to see um, some of these incredible upland landscapes, especially if you're coming from 
you know, a part of the country that isn't quite as, as lucky to have that in your backyard. And some of it is, I mean, got to get people to stop thinking about limits, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you walk this landscape in, you know, the beauty, you know, we all dream about, if you don't live in Montana, Hunter, we dream about that epic flush of a rooster with the backdrop of the, you know, the, the Missouri breaks or the front range of the Rockies and the rooster flushing there, or a group of sharp tails, right? That flushing off a dog on point. I don't need to shoot a limit of it, of any of them. I just need to experience that, just that one special moment, like, or make a two mile retreat, you know, <laughs> with good friends and in a beautiful landscape. And that, you know, you have a limit of that here in Montana. Um, thank you very much for showing us such a beautiful spot. Thank you for, you know, being that idealistic biologist that wanted to do something. You, you told me, I think it's the genetically most important connection. Connectivity corridor for pronghorn connects a, a strong population in Montana to a strong population in Canada. And it's really how, you know, that genetic information keeps that population healthy. And this is a really constricted at-risk corridor that we anchored, uh, mm. keeping that grassland intact and then facilitated movement to make it way easier um, and improved habitat for pronghorn mule deer, and definitely sharp-tails yeah. and hunts. Tens and tens of thousands of <laughs> sharp-tails and hunts. I mean, if folks are still not convinced, just think about how much we talk about pollinator habitat yeah. and the connection between monarch butterflies and honeybees. You know, it, I, I get teased for this internally. Andrew teased me the other, the other day. It's like, oh, you're going to mention the web of life again, aren't you? <laughs> like, I am. It's like we all learned it in third grade. Right. What's good for the herd is good for the bird. What's good for pronghorn is good for pheasants, good for sharp tails, good for water quality. It's good for us as yeah. human beings. So. And I really, yesterday, I really feel like it's the Montana experience. I mean, getting out there, wide open spaces, putting a lot of miles on your boots and just incredible landscape. It's, you know, pronghorn and sharp tail. That's really the Montana experience. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. Porcupines included, so far yes. <laughs> no major incidents, and grizzly bears included, so far no encounters. We're hoping to keep both of those trends going. Right. Um, all right, folks, the, um, listen, watch, check out photo galleries, all our social social channels. Right, Nate? That's right. Facebook, right Twitter, Instagram, pheasantsforever.org. Uh, we'll have um, four episodes of On the Wing podcast. We'll have videos. Um, Check it all out, roosterroadtrip.org. Thanks to our partners at Browning, Federal Ammunition, Ruffling Kennels, Apple Autos, Sound Gear, and Garmin. And please, if you're not currently a member of Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever, we need you to join. Get involved in habitat conservation. If you are already a member of Pheasants Forever, you can take advantage of the membership offer at roosterroadtrip.org. And we're simply going to add a full year on to the end of your expiration date. Get in for that chance to win the Browning Satori 725. Andrew, what'd I miss? Anything? Nope. We're healthy. Dogs are healthy. We're still raring to go. The week is young. We're excited to see what uh, is in store for us. And we talked pronghorn and sharptails. We're going to talk pheasants next episode. Getting back to our bread and butter. Big old gaudy roosters. And uh, 
We know where a couple live. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. <laughs> We're going to go try to find an electric cord to see if we can do a podcast that's not in a 120 degree uh, um, SUV next time, but we never know. <laughs> All right, folks. Thank you for listening to On the Wing Podcast Rooster Road Trip 2022 Montana Mix Bag. I'm Bob St. Pierre reminding you to always follow the dog. Something good will rise. Thanks, folks.